The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas. And we are going year-round on the Even Money Podcast. Thanks to all of you, the great listeners of the Even Money Podcast, as well as the awesome dudes over at BetDSI.com. Wouldn't be able to do it without them or you guys. So make sure you guys meet up over at BetDSI.com. Use the code Tucker15 and you get a free $15 off your first bet. You get deposit $15 free for whatever it is that you want to bet on, whether it's NFL futures, where Tony Romo is going to end up. I'm sure that bets are being placed on that. And, of course, we've got March Madness coming up, the Masters, all kinds of things that you can bet on. We had so many new listeners, so many people that were digging the Even Money podcast during the season that we really just didn't want to stop it. So after a week off last week, we kind of gathered our heads together and said, all right, we can do this. We can do year-round. So please, please, please spread the word if you can so we can make sure everybody knows we're doing this thing year-round. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. For those of you that maybe might be new, you can check me out on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL. He, though, is the star of the show. His name is Steve Fezzik. You can follow him on Twitter, at Fezzik Sports. He's a handicapper. He is the only two-time winner of the Super Bowl of professional football gambling, and he was up well over 20 units during the 2016 NFL season. So, Steve, we know that some of these other sports are not necessarily your expertise as much as football, but you do know a lot more about them and how to bet them than the rest of us do. So I think it'll be valuable just to kind of get some tips from you on these other sports, some do's and don'ts, if you will. Exactly. We're going to talk about a little basic strategy of March Madness betting. Everyone fills out a bracket, so we'll talk about bracket optimal play and how it all depends what sort of bracket contest you're in. Well, why don't we start with that? You know, well, let's start with this real quick. As people are listening to this, we have all the conference championship games, and you talked about it 
last year in terms of the conference championship games or, or a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the over-under for what happens on the final game in some of these conference championship games. you want to reiterate that? Because I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, so what happens if you have two, you have a crappy conference, a one-bid league, and all the teams know they got to win to go to the big dance. If they lose, they might not even make the NIT. Those are the games in general that you want to play under the total. And what happened this year, starting with the Ohio Valley Conference, is we had four straight unders. So there was a whole lot of pressure in the marketplace. So they've been betting these pretty much in those small conference um, games, the title games, the money is poured in on the unders. So a lot of the value is gone. Now contrast that with say a big 12 championship game. There's a situation that's more a reward game, almost an NBA tryout game, if you will, where you're going to see a track meet and players going up and down the court. Oftentimes both teams know they've got a nice, nice seed wrapped up in the NCAA tournament. And so I tend to look overs in those championship games, a completely different ball game. What about as we get into the NCAA and NIT tournaments, give me some, give me some do's and don'ts for those. I would say in the NIT, I would say do look more in the NIT. One of my favorite angles, Ross is a team that was in contention to make the NCAA tournament blows it, doesn't win their tournament, maybe they're on the bubble, close to the bubble, they don't get a bid, and then, boom, they play an NIT game like Tuesday night. So they find out the bad news Sunday night, it's confirmed, no big dance, and now they got to travel and immediately play on Tuesday in the NIT on the road. It is almost impossible to get up for it. You don't have time to scout the team. You're losing a day to travel, short turnaround, you're not excited, and those teams tend to lay an egg completely. Another thing I like about the NIT is oftentimes you can play overs. And I'm, I tend to be an underplayer, Ross. That's where I find more value. But if you've got a team that is like needed every game like blood, and Illinois in the Big Ten that's been on the bubble the past month, and then they, if they don't make the big dance and they go to the NIT, that would be a team that all of a sudden is like, well, do I really care if I win my first round NIT game? I'd like to win it, but it's not nearly as big a deal to the players, to the coaches. Do they really want to keep playing for a month in the NIT, three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is? And because of that, you tend to see much, much higher scoring in the NIT opening round, the first round, than you do any other time. Do you um, do you like the mid-majors over sort of the uh, the power conference teams in the NIT? Yeah, I think that you're going to fu- – well, you know what? Maybe not because it's all about getting into the team and the motivation. The problem with the big dance, very hard to win betting the big dance because everyone is ultra-motivated. And you don't see that in the NIT. You're going to see some teams, some of the big teams, somewhat disinterested that really don't even want to be there. And that's a team that you can go ahead and fade and bet against. You don't see that in the NCAA tournament. Everybody's playing at 100%. In general, Steve, NIT, NCAA tournament, are these good things to bet on? I mean, are, are these things that the public can typically do well on or even experts can typically do well on? The experts actually like the NIT in some ways better than the NCAA because of this motivation issue that you can find a dead team that you can go ahead and bet against. The NCAA, though, has an advantage 
you mentioned the public. Because the public bets so much on the tournament, it's the one time of the year along with the Super Bowl that the public's money dwarfs the pros' money, and you can see some really bizarre line moves. Example, the year George Mason made the Final Four, they played Michigan State. Uh, George Mason had an undervalued team that year. They opened a three-and-a-half-point underdog against Michigan State. That line got steamed all the way up to six-and-a-half. Sparty money all week long, and then George Mason beat them outright. Um, You'll see that quite often during the tournament where there will be just a public team against a a no-name team, and the public will move the line, especially, Ross, Thursday and Friday night, that first weekend of the tournament, night game, tsunami of public money. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people go to Vegas just specifically for the opening weekend, right? And if you've never done that, as far as a bucket list, one thing, one guy weekend thing you should do is come to Vegas during the opening week of March Madness, and it is just crazy. Thursday and Friday, it actually slows down a little bit, Saturday and Sunday, but those first two days, Thursday and Friday, standing room only, get to the book early, you've got to learn little tricks that you can use to get a seat. One of my favorites is the night before, just tape a little, you know, this, you know, this seat is for Ross, and just put, you know, take, take your masking tape and just put it there and leave like a, um, an empty duffel bag on the chair, and uh, it should be there for you the next morning. Wow, that's interesting. I've actually been there. I think it might have been, it might have been my bachelor party. We might have been out there for that. Um, back in 2005, we might have been out there for that weekend. Um, looking back on it a little bit. All right, what are some what are some do's and don'ts for the NCAA tournament betting? I know we talked about them a couple weeks ago that you don't want to do the needle in the haystack to win it. You're better off just betting those teams each game. Yeah, so if you like a team, just bet them to win each and every game. And let me go ahead and give you the math. So you find a, a nice underdog that you think is undervalued. And think about if they make the Sweet 16 and they're not a top seed, they're probably going to be an underdog the next four games, say they're a number of like five through seven seed. Make them a two-to-one underdog, and they might be more, Ross. So a two-to-one underdog, and you're, and you're like, this is an undervalued team. I'm going to bet them at 100-to-one. Well, even if they make the Sweet 16, which they'll be an underdog to make already, they're still if they're a two-to-one underdog in each game, think about it. You start with a dollar, and you win two. So you bet $1 plus 200 to win $2. Great. They win that, that um, Elite Eight game. Um, they get to the Elite Eight, pardon me. And so now you've got $3 in your pocket when you cash that ticket. You bet them two-to-one again. That wins. They're in the Final Four. Now you've got $9. You bet them two-to-one again. Now you got 27. You bet them two to one again in the finals, and they're probably going to be three to one in the finals. At some point, they're going to play a, a real good number one seed, um, eighty-one dollars. So even when a team makes the the um, the Sweet 16, you're still looking at an eighty-one to one payout on a pretty good team, and that shows why trying to find the needle in the haystack at a hundred to one is so darn difficult. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Any other NCAA tournament or NIT tournament? do's and don'ts in terms of placing bets? You know, one thing is the, the opening round, I like to play the underdogs because the, they, people know what the spread is. So a team knows they're a six-point underdog. They know this is likely going to be their last game. They're all in. They're playing for their tournament lives. They're gonna, you're going to get an insane, crazy effort. And it's human nature. If you're a four-seed, you're looking – ahead to the five seed who you're going to be playing after you win that first game. 
That's why the dogs have done so well in the first round. However, after the first round, Ross, I like to play favorites because when a dog gets an outright win, everyone remembers Florida Gulf Coast getting two wins and teams making crazy dogs, making crazy runs through the tournament. But the truth is it's a favorite tournament. The one through eight, the one through four seeds, pardon me, are the ones that tend to win the tournament. And so often you see a team look really good as a 12 seed. They knock off a five seed and then I'm looking to play against them usually in the second round. And if they knock off the, um, they win one more game and they make the sweet 16, that's like a power fade for me. There's nothing better than a bad team winning two games, making the sweet 16. They go back on campus three days of parting and then they get blasted typically in the third round. Yeah, that it does seem like that happens more often than that. That's a pretty good point. What about in terms of people that starting next week will be filling out their brackets? We talked about actually betting, but now let's talk about filling out your brackets and, and the best way to do so. Right on. And so when you fill out your bracket, it makes sense. Just take the teams you think are going to win. It seems that would be the obvious way. It turns out you need to, to know how many people are going to be in your bracket. So let's say I'm going heads up with just you, Ross. All right. And I got to fill out a bracket. I'm not going to handicap it. I'm going to let Vegas do all the work. I'm just going to look at first round who's favored in every game. I'm going to take the favorite. I'm going to look at power ratings, which are published um, at various sites. Pregame.com, our college basketball expert, Brad Powers, puts out his power ratings in every team. I'll just take the better team, and I'll have them win, and I'll submit that against you, and I'll feel very confident in my chances to win that heads-up contest. However, let's say I'm in an office with 40 people. I can't just take chalk all the way because that's what most people are going to do, and someone who takes just a few underdogs inevitably is going to have the advantage, and they're going to wind up winning – because a few of those underdogs obviously are going to come in. So I would recommend if you've got about 40 people in a pool, now's the time. Go ahead and take three, four, five upsets along the way. Modest upsets, two to three point underdogs along the way. Let Vegas tell you who, sh- who is competitive, who is a small underdog. And look to play some small underdogs, but I still wouldn't go crazy. I wouldn't play like a 100 to 1 team to win it all ever in an office pool because – Let's face it, there's only 40 people. If my team doesn't win and their odds of winning are like 100 to 1 or more, then I'm going to lose the pool. But here's where you can have really have fun, Ross, the national pool contest. Now's the time. You've got to be 10,000 people. You can go ahead and take your Iowa State to win it all. You can take your Oklahoma State to win it all. You can take your Dayton to make the final four. You can take flyers and take more underdogs. So the rule in general, basic strategy, start with the baseline. Who does Vegas think is going to win? Put that in pencil and then start tweaking it and making changes. Pick some underdogs. The bigger the pool, the more underdogs you want to pick. Oh, that's interesting. So the, the more people that are in it, the more variance you want to have in terms of your underdogs. That's really interesting because that's basically – it's almost like when you're playing DraftKings. It's like you know that's really your only chance to win is to, is to t- you know you – know, kind of go contrary and make some bets other people aren't and just hope that you hit on it. That, you know, it's a great example. So like, let's assume like in DraftKings, we all, we just picked up one quarterback. All right. And all the quarterbacks cost the same money. The way to win would be to take um, fits for the jets because no one's going to take him and everyone's going to take, you know, Ryan of Atlanta and because of that, you know, even though if you're up against a heads-up contest with one guy, he'd have a huge edge over you. 
because 40 of your opponents or 400 of your opponents all have the same quarterback and you've got one no one else wanted, now all of a sudden you've got great value. It's a really, really interesting point. And then I know you also, um, Steve, are not a big proponent of you know, taking long shots to actually win the whole thing. I mean, that, that never happens. I guess, what, Butler was the closest maybe to actually – maybe there was a, a Virginia Commonwealth or a George Mason one year, but they didn't actually win it. Yeah, so the, the biggest underdogs to win, Villanova won as an eight seed, I think, in 1983. Connecticut, a few years back, um, won as a seven seed. And, you know, you're up against it twice when you're worse than an eight seed – one, you're a worse team to begin with, but two, just the draw that you're being exposed to is so darn difficult. Being an underdog basically in every game, it's almost um, impossible to overcome. So if, if you are going to take a flyer, um, you'll do better. If, if you're taking a team that's a number three seed or worse, just play the money line. Trust me on this. Just shop for your best number, play the money line six times, and you will be shocked how much more money you'll wind up with than playing them at 120 to one or whatever number that you wind up getting. So that's the basic strategy that I would follow. And the same thing with your pools. Even if you're in a national pool, Ross, if you take like two really big underdogs, so you take, let's say you took Iowa state and Oklahoma state to both make the final four. That's enough. But the big, I'd say the one mistake that people make in those national pools is they go crazy. They take an 11 seed and a six seed and a three seed and a five seed to make the final four. If you've got, like two big upsets already go chalkity chalk chalk the rest of the way, because you're probably going to be in real good shape. If Iowa state wins the tournament already, you don't really need to have very many other upsets in your pool to be right there at the very top, even in a big national pool. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I mean, you make one bet and if you're right, you got it. But if you make two, the odds are you're going to be wrong with one of them and it negates the one that you were right on. And there are some people like they'll take a 15 seed and a 14 seed to both make the final four. Now, just take one of those seeds and pretty much you make it play a few modest upsets other than, and that would be my basic strategy, even with a hundred thousand people in your pool. So, okay. So then we're going to be talking about this each week. So we'll be able to be a little more specific about seeds and teams, everything next week after the brackets come out Sunday night. So then why don't you, Let's just talk right now. I know you said there was something in the NBA that interested you as well, Steve. Yeah, so I listen to all the talking heads. I guess I'm one of them. And they're talking about how, well, Golden State really shouldn't be the favorite anymore to win the NBA with the problems they're having, uh, playing very poorly without Durant. They've had a nightmare schedule. But the odds in Vegas, Vegas disagrees with the talking heads. They still think that Golden State is a fairly prohibitive favorite. Right now the odds – Golden State is minus 160. The field is plus 140. What does that mean? If you bet Golden State to win it all against everyone, you have to bet $160 and you only get back 100. You can have every other team, Ross, and you can risk 100 to make 140. So Vegas says Golden State's still going to win the NBA title. I think most people disagree. So then what are you suggesting? I think the number's just about right. But um, I'm a huge Golden State fan. But yeah, I got to tell you, Ross, I'm not privy to Durant's medical condition, and I don't know what percent he's going to be when he comes back for the playoffs. But if he is anywhere close to where he was, I had Golden State 13 points better than an average team. 
the second best team in the NBA was, I had San Antonio only eight points better. So they were so far apart. Um, I thought it would be an absolute slam dunk. Golden State was going to win it all, but things are getting dicey. I know Bry is going to be at that game Saturday night. Uh, the Spurs are hosting Golden State. They, if they win that game, they've virtually caught them in the standings. Yeah, I, I think I would take the field, man. Because you know, I, I'm not a big NBA guy, but you think about Cleveland. Even in the West, there, there's some other teams that are going to give Golden State a run for their money, and there is the unknown of Kevin Durant's injury. So. That the field bet sounds like a, a pretty good one to me right now. Um, I love it. This is fun. I'm learning stuff about other sports. This is great. Hopefully, everybody listening feels the same way as well. If you have specific questions about some of the other sports, just send us an email ross at rosstucker.com. If you take advantage of our sponsor, like betdsi.com or any of these other sponsors that are available on the sponsor page at rosstucker.com. I guarantee that we will read and respond to it on the podcast. So you get a shout out and you'll get to know exactly what it is that Steve thinks of your question. And we can uh, learn a little bit more each and every week. I know I'm going to be learning stuff each and every week as well. Other than that, next week we will be all over your brackets and the NCAA tournament stuff, and maybe we'll even talk a little NFL after the first week, the first wave of free agency. There is quarterback news coming down the pike. Maybe Romo will sign by next week. We know who the Bears quarterback is going to be now. We know who the Bills quarterback is going to be now. So NFL talk, quarterback talk. We'll look at Steve's win-loss totals as well as the brackets next week. Between now and then, good luck, everybody. Hope you guys win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.